welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. I'm your host, Tammy, and today I am joined by Lance Lopez. He is an acclaimed blues rock guitar and vocalist, and he is a resident of Nashville, whose primary influences are Jimi Hendrix, B.B. King, Johnny Winter, Billy Gibbons, and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Lots of really great ones. Lots of really great ones. He's an accomplished veteran of the Texas blues scene where they grow larger than life, outrageously talented blues guitarists like crazy, which I would totally agree with. Like so, so many wonderful guitar players come out of, come out of Texas. And Jeff Beck described Lance as a very exciting and intense blues guitarist. He's got some exciting things coming up this summer, including a release of an album called Trouble is Good coming out on July 14th from Cleopatra Records. And I had a chance to listen to that recently, and it is amazing. So if you're a fan of blues, a fan of blues rock, definitely check that out and give that a listen. So welcome to the show, Lance. Hey, Tammy. Thank you so much for having me on. You're so welcome. It is always a pleasure to talk to guitar players because that's one of the one one of the instruments that is so was so hard for me to learn. <laughs> I have so much respect for it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it is. It, it, you know, at first, the guitar can be frustrating, but if you can make it through that that point of getting your fingers to press down on the strings long enough, yeah, I think you can. You know, it 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 just is that 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 beginning hurdle <laughs> and changing chords. Like, how do I change a chord? You know, it's just those things are so yeah. crucial in the beginning. Of know? course, of course. And then you've got power chords and bar chords, and it's like, oh my gosh, all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you do your footwork with pedals and things like that. It's like, all right. right. So <laughs> who, much. So much. Who decided on this torture? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So what drew you to guitar as opposed to any other instrument? I think one of my earliest memories, I saw some footage of, of Elvis Presley playing guitar. Um, I saw the 68 comeback special footage um, where they're all kind of just sitting in the round and hanging out. And, and playing guitars and just kind of jamming and talking and hanging out, you know, and I saw that footage when I was a little kid and I just, and I just saw the guitars and I, I was like, I, I need, you know, I was like reaching for the TV screen, you know, I need that, you know, and wanted it immediately. And uh, my dad was in the army with Elvis. And so they were good friends and they knew each other. And so he, he heavily supported it. Once he saw that I wanted to do that, he, he wasn't a musician, but he was friends with one of the greatest, if not the, you know, yeah. king. And I, so he was heavily supportive in, in it because I the interest that I showed as a child. And as as I got older, a couple of years went by, a few, you know, a couple of years went by. And for Christmas, finally, he got me one. I, I kept on and wanted one. He, he gave me a, a, an acoustic, a little beginner acoustic and, and, a, and a vinyl album of the Chuck Berry, the great 28. Nice. He gave me, and he said, learn all these 
if you learn all these Chuck Berry songs, I'll buy you an electric guitar. <laughs> so, you know, it was, it was cool. It was cool. So that's how I started, you know, in early, my dad started me in early rock and roll, you know, fifties um, rock and roll, Chuck Berry and Bo Diddley and Little Richard and all that kind of stuff, you know? So I was like playing blues because all that stuff was so blues before I even knew it, you know, I didn't even know. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, from those, those progressions and stuff, which probably later on is what so naturally drew me to the blues, you know? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was super cool kind of starting that way. And you had some really exciting things happening when you were 17. You know, you you returned to Dallas and you also became friends with Johnny Taylor. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, it was a very interesting story. There's um, a guy I went on to work with, the great, the late, great Lucky Peterson, uh, later on in my career. But uh, before I worked for Lucky, before I became his guitar player, we were just buddies and I was friends with all the members of his band. And, uh, and so at that time, this was, you know, early mid nineties, there were jam sessions at clubs all over town in Dallas. And they happened to be going down to a club called the Booker's Arandas, which is no longer in existence, but it was in, um, in South Dallas, which is the, the primary, the African American neighborhood of Dallas. And so this was like an OG blues and jazz club. This was the place that like when BB King played in Dallas, he went after his concerts and hung out you know, guys like that. It was a very, you know, heavy duty place. And so Lucky was playing there and I, and one of his horn players called me and said, Hey, we're playing down at the Arandas tonight. Why don't you hop in the van with us and come down and make the hang and sit in with us? So I thought, well, that's cool. So I went down with him and hung out all night. And at the end of the show, Lucky Peterson called me up to sit in. And so I got up and played, we were playing some blues and I don't even know. I just, you know, played, played blues guitar. And the minute I stepped off the stage, a guy grabbed me and he was like, hey, man, can you be in Atlanta in, in two days? And I was like, you know, I was terrified. I was like, I don't know. I got to ask my dad. I was like, I was a child, you know, and so I was like, I, you know, so that's what it, literally what it looked like. I had to go home and ask my dad. Like, <laughs> it was funny because I, I had a uh, scholarship to go to uh, uh, Berkeley in Boston and then, you know, or, and then this happened. So it was like, what do I do? Do I go to Berkeley and play, you know, go to school and play guitar at school? Or do I immediately get on a tour bus and start going and playing the blues and backing the, all these R and B musicians. And and that's what happened. Um, I ended up making the choice to go and I played with Johnny and, and by playing guitar with Johnny Taylor, that led me to playing guitar with uh, artists like Bobby Blue Bland, uh, little Milton, Johnny guitar, Watson, on and on and on, all these iconic, you know, iconic uh, R&B and blues people that I really didn't even know who they were until my heroes were showing up backstage, you know, to talk to them. And I was like, oh, my God, there's that guy. And then it was like, do you realize who you're playing guitar for? And I was like, I guess not. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, you know, so I was just a child trying to just make sure that I, I knew the gig, you know, make sure I knew the the, the music. And so. That's really, uh, you know, a lot of where, you know, how it, how it began. And then from there, it just, I got hired by, you know, different artists and played with and toured and traveled with different artists. And then same thing, you know, later on joining Lucky Peterson's band, it just led to more and more, more and more bands. And now you've got an album coming out. Like, how was that for you? You know, writing something new and coming out of a pandemic with something like that? You know, it was very interesting you know, that, that whole situation, you know, I, I'd moved to Nashville. I left tech. I was kind of living between Texas and Louisiana and I moved to Nashville and 
kind of some hard times for me. And I came to Nashville to kind of refocus on my wellness and recenter and kind of get everything back on track, took a big break, needed to just get, you know, focus on my health and my wellness. And when I was getting ready to go back to play again, you know, we had some festivals come in from, you know, Scandinavia and some other shows in Europe where, where we've always done really well. And, and so we were getting ready to go back. And so we started talking about making a record. Once the shows kind of started to come in, we, we, you know, and I was getting ready to go back on the road, we said, okay, now we need to make a new album. So we started beginning those talks. And so I started to talk with uh, Joey Sykes, who was my uh, co-writer back in the day. I was in a band called Supersonic Blues Machine, did two albums with them. I was their original front man and guitar player. Joey was a was a songwriter involved in that project, and that's how we began working together. And then he co-wrote and wrote songs for my last album. Well, once this all began, Joey stepped in. And he wanted to be the producer of this, of a new project that we were working on. And so he had a lot of songs we had already began working on you know, from, from the last record. So we had a leftover material. He had more ideas. And so we were getting ready to fire everything up and then COVID happened. So that kind of, it fired us into an entirely different trajectory, you know, completely. It pushed me into getting a home recording set up, which is something I've been needing to do for a long time. And, you know, I became a recording engineer at home. And so Joey would have, would have I'd sketches for songs. He would send, email me a song. I would then work on my parts and send it back. And he would then track, you know, some ideas in L.A. with musicians and then send it back. And then I would overdub my guitars and vocals at home and uh, in two different houses here in Nashville. And then we and then once things began to open up, we started to go to different studios. We went when things opened up, we went to New York first. He had been recording a lot in Los Angeles uh, and I was recording in Nashville. So we had guys in New York. And so the other side of Trouble is Good. And then I'm going to get to the title of, of why and, and, and what and what it means is, is that we had so many great musicians show up to play on the record. And it was just incredible, especially the stylistic approach that we took for the record, like I said, to make it more of a rock of a blues rock record, more of a, a rock record of the blues rock side of that. And so we had some iconic, great drummers and bass players. We had Brian Titchy from the Dead Daisies, who played with White Snake and Foreigner and Ozzy and all these great artists. You know, we had uh, John Hummel, who worked with Lady Gaga, played drums. Uh, Jurgen Carlson from Government Mule on bass. I mean, just all these iconic people. Uh, Danny Miranda from Blue Oyster Colt and Queen. And Bobby Rondinelli uh, from Rainbow and Black Sabbath. You know, we had all these great, great musicians show up. And and so we went to them, like we, for Bobby Rondinelli and Danny Miranda, we went to New York. We were like, let's go to Long Island Report up there. You know, Joey's from that area, and I have a long history with, I lived in New York City and have you know, recorded a live album there at B.B. King's at Johnny Winter's birthday party. So strong ties to New York City. So we went to New York and recorded. And then everything, you know, we finalized here back in Nashville at home and went to a couple of different studios here in Nashville. So it was just an interesting process that while, because we didn't know, you know, with the pandemic was happening, nobody knew it was happening. So I was on a call with um, the, the great John Hyatt, the songwriter and and, and uh, artist, and um, we were talk. I was talking about you know COVID being like this way and how what you know what's going to happen, and this is just you know. And I was talking to my friends over in the UK, and they were all shut down. It was just brutal, you know. But on the other side of that, I was starting my home recording situation. I started to repair guitar amps. And I was working at like the biggest amp shop here in Nashville. And what was interesting, I mean, for like a celebrity clientele of like 
you know, a, a lot of the top country artists and, and the, and the musicians that play with them. So it was, uh, it was so great that they had the opportunity to then go through all their broken gear and figure out what was wrong. And then in the midst of all of it, it was like, I, I went into this thing and started to learn some, you know, and work. And I'd already had done that, but expanded my knowledge into that. And then the recording. So it was like, it was good. That was the whole point of trouble is good. It like really, I think everybody grew and everybody had to learn like zoom here. Like everybody had to, you know, figure out that technology and grow. And I think it really pushed us in that place of FaceTime and zoom and how to utilize the technology that we do possess now in order to communicate with each other from long distances and do, do different things. So it was super cool. So it was all good that those things came from, you know, such tragedy and, and so in trouble, you know, so that was the whole point of it. And so the, all the songs kind of outlined, just like most of the last record as well, outlines kind of what was happening in real time in real life, at, at, you know, during that, during that moment, you know, um, so a lot of life stories and stuff, but it does, it rocks, it rocks hard. So we, we, you know, we, we definitely wanted to take that approach for that record. I'm glad you dig it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Thank do you, you, do you feel that being able to make that album during such a historic time for everyone, was it a good way to help cope with everything that was going on? Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And that was one of the beautiful things about, you know, when I first came to Nashville and and, and meeting and, and forging a nice relationship with John Hyatt was he actually gave me one of his road acoustic guitars when I moved to Nashville. And he said, you know, I know you're going through a lot right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. And then especially that was even pre-COVID and then pre-COVID and then COVID happened. And then it was like, I want you to take this guitar and I want you to write about what you're feeling, you know, and that's what was super cool. So I, I still have this acoustic that I write on. And that's kind of what that was the approach we got to write about in real time what was going on. You know, our first single jam with me is about, you know, coming out of that. And, and now that we're able to get together and jam. And once things started to open up here in Nashville, we started to do that. You know, once we could like all kind of hang out and get together, but COVID was still kind of going. We that's what we started to do. We started to jam. I actually had a house here in Nashville we called the Jam House. I, I now live in the House of Tone because there's a couple of other guitar players that live in this house that are some of the Nashville well-known guitar players. And so all we do is dial in guitars and amps and guys have country gigs and rock gigs and pop gigs. And, you know, we, we all the best guys come over and we always are trying out pedals and amps and guitars. And it's just, it's endless. <laughs> it's never ending. But before I, I lived here, I lived in a, in a house called the Jam House, and we had big vaulted ceilings, and we were hanging microphones from the stairwells, like, you know, like the old British rock records, and, you know, getting all the same. So it was really cool. It was a lot of fun. And that's that that was a way that we coped with it. I would make big meals, like a lot of people were doing during COVID. They were cooking, right? Like, it was like this whole cooking scene that started happening. You know, I, I gained like 35 pounds, <laughs> you know, during COVID. It was out of control. But that's what I would do. I would make big meals and then I would just I would invite whatever bass players and drummers and whatever musicians could come over so that I could begin hashing out work tapes. And I would I would demoing I was demoing work tapes at the house. And so and then we were jamming. And so not only was I working on songs and fleshing out ideas for the album, but I also provided a, a space at my at that house 
where we, we where we shared meals and then we we got on instruments and we jammed and then we were like wow we can still do this you know yeah. we can still play even though we couldn't go out and play anywhere we were playing you know in the house much to the dismay of our neighbors <laughs> so <laughs> it was, i think some of them dug it yeah. <laughs> but but anyway no that's and that's what we did and it was really beautiful and it was really great and yes it, you know my guitar and my music and, and the blues in general has just kept me alive through so much stuff. Like it's unbelievable what the blues has done, you know, for my heart and just getting me through, you know, anything. So yeah, it was that, it was that place of, it was very healing, very healing, very coping, very, and we still had a sense of togetherness, even though we couldn't go out places. If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. That's great that you were able to provide that not only for yourself, but for people that you care about. Right. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And of course, you've got your album coming up. Do you have a favorite song off that album? Oh, my gosh. There, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's like, what's your favorite food? <laughs> <laughs> I just say good. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there, I mean, there's, there, so, there's so many different elements on the record that it's hard to describe. I mean, both the singles are reflective of kind of, you know, real time situations of the record. Um, you know, Jam With Me really kind of encompasses that era, you know, of when the record was made. But, you know, there's songs like Easy To Leave and, you know, Wild Country that are some of the more straight and Slow Down that are some of the more straight ahead rockers that I really, I really felt great about like slow down. I was able to really pay tribute to one of my biggest heroes, the, the unsung Paul Kossoff, you know, from free. And, you know, I got to pay tribute to a lot of guitar players that I never normally pay tribute to, you know, like Richie Blackmore on Voyager, you know, I really, and I had the drummer that, that replaced Cozy Powell in his band in rainbow and so that was a great opportunity to then showcase the fact that I also had those influences well that were then delivered as myself, you know, not that I'm emulating those artists, but that that influence was also part of of my music. I, I you know, I, I get, you know, I have an environmental uh, influence by being from Dallas and living in Oak Cliff and kind of being also a part of that circle of guitarists, just a generation removed from the original, you know, the, the original guys like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Jimmy Vaughan, Rocky Athis, Smoking Joe Quebec, you know, Bugs Henderson, all those guys we grew up in and had, Anson Funderburg, all those people we had to grow up with around and look up to was, um, you know, it was quite something, you know, and then like you mentioned before, the original um, 
influences of Billy Gibbons and Johnny Winter. I mean, you know, it's kind of a tall order of the, the broad spectrum of Texas guitar players. So, um, you know, it, it it definitely is a thing that it 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 was uh, you know that environmental influence. But I also had so much more of the rock influence as well as growing up as a as a Stranger Things kid in the eighties. <laughs> you know, I was an original Strangers kid, Stranger Things kid. You know, but in that era, we had shredder rock guitar playing. You know, and that was the era of Van Halen and all that. So growing up as kids, that was what every kid wanted to do. So I was listening to a, like the generation behind that you know the old the music from the 60s late 60s and the and the 70s and so i was into those guitar players i felt like i felt like personally i wasn't displaying that enough or talking about that enough and i wanted to do that you know that was one of the things like during COVID also allowed me to go what do i want to do mm-hmm. you know without any, any kind of any kind of precept of i'm going to go and make this kind of record it was like let's just make a record that you know that's cool and one of the things that I started to, to do also during COVID was I also went, went back and started playing a lot of those rock albums that I grew up with because I went back, especially speaking of like healing and coping, I was suggested to go back and play the guitar for fun. Like mm-hmm. when I, what I originally did, not like I've got to sit down and do this session or learn this song or it's got to be, you know, like as a professional guitar player, it was like the separation of okay, this is like what I'm doing here for, you know, professionally, but what do I want to go play? Like, you know, what, what do I want to go? I want to sit down and play my guitar and have fun. What does that look like? You know, what is it? And so a lot of that went, went back to my childhood and back and rediscovered the music that I grew up with and loved, you know, that, that made me, you know, stay up all night and, and drink Mountain Dew and learn <laughs> guitar licks, you know, it was like, what was that? You know, what did that look like? And what does that look like today? Just to play music, just to have fun, you know? And I think that was one of the, the big key things that was, that was, you know, that needed to really resurface. It was fun. You know, this is all, this is supposed to be fun. We're, we play music so people have fun and we should have fun with the people that are having fun. Of course. You know, and so, and, and, and the instrument should be a fun experience, you know, uh, it should bring joy. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because so many musicians, whether they're guitarists or they're classically trained pianists or, or you know, across the board, singers even, you know, they mm-hmm. sort of lose themselves sometimes in what they do in their career. And they forget like, oh, yeah, I I used to sing this song and it brings me joy. Or I used to just sit and jam out on my instrument and just for me, you know, like so many times they're thinking about the audience or their clients or or everyone else but themselves. It's good to just detach a little bit and and get back to the core of why you started, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it is. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. And it's, and it's certainly helped me, especially like, you know, that was one of my main COVID coping skills was part of getting back to the instrument for fun. And that was what provided fun. It was like, how did I learn to play Guitar, not like learning something because I have a show in three days and I have to learn it perfectly and it needs to be. And there was all this high pressure. It was like, let's go back and learn. You know, let's go back and put on like rush moving pictures, <laughs> you know, and learn some of that stuff again, like we did when we were little kids. And it was like, it was so much fun. It was like, and, and the memories. And so what was odd about this is this is a crazy story. I have to tell the story. What's so crazy about this is that 
my first band, that's what we did. We listened to a lot of Rush and ACDC and all these bands. And we would stay up and we would learn the part. We were little kids, you know. And we'd learn the parts and we'd sit up on the bed and we'd argue. No, man, he's playing. No, man, he's playing. This. No, he's not. He's playing this, man. You know, we would do that. All, <laughs> like all night, you know. And so we would do that. And what's so odd about this is that when I started to do this again, a friend of mine out of nowhere uh, in Dallas contacts me and he goes, hey, do you know this guy, JD, blah, 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 blah. And I said, yeah. And he goes, he's trying to contact you, man. He's a professor at the University of Arkansas now. It was my first bass player in that band that I used to sit up on the bed and do that. And I, it was like, that's too weird. Like how oh, that wow. just, how he can't, I haven't talked to this guy in 30 years. And here he can't, you know, and it was just like, what? And so it was really cool when stuff, you know, that stuff started happening like that. So it just made it even more fun, you know, <laughs> so but anyway, you know, that was that was it. That was a big coping mechanism was like, let's make this fun and let's just focus on this. And, you know, because what else were we going to do? <laughs> it, was, it was crazy, crazy times. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad to know that you were able to create and, you know, lose yourself in the music during that time. I know sometimes people go the opposite direction and they, you know, they sort of freeze up. All right. It happens. Yeah, it happens. It does happen. I mean, I think it's that's probably happened to me a few times myself. And uh, yeah, and it's just it's the continuous moving forward. And I think that was the other side of making trouble is good, is that it it also provided a hope piece, mm-hmm. you know, and it provided hope. Like we're making this product that one day this will be over and we will have this, you know, that we're making this body of work. That we are because we, you know, we had so many songs that weren't on. I mean, we were going to have to make a double album. It was like we had to start shaving songs. I mean, we had so much material, you know, over that time period, you know, that we were just kept recording songs and recording songs and recording songs. So then it became down to, um, you know, which songs do we select? And so, yeah, it was that process of hope, you know, that this was, you know, one day that the pandemic was going to be over and we were going to have this album and we were going to. This this day was going to happen. You talked about having to select songs and having to set some other songs aside. I can only imagine that must be a very monumental task. What is that like, having to pick only ten or twelve or whatever songs to go on an album? You know, it is. It is very much a a point of you know, especially with the writers and the and and like Joey had a, had a lot of feelings because he produced the album and he wrote a lot of the material. And so he was very connected to it and the writers and the, and, and I'm connected to certain songs and there were certain songs I was connected to that. I felt like these are musts. And so mm-hmm. I think I start there. Like if we're going to start shaving songs off of a list of songs for the record, then I need to start diagramming which ones are going to stay no matter what. Like these are, this is like no, no discussion. These are going to stay. And then it kind of goes down to what, what can and can go. And then, and then pretty much, you know, the, the point for me is I've, I've definitely learned to, and you spoke of detachment earlier, which is, which is great and a great tool and all sorts of things. And, and, and so for me, that they provided a lot of that. It was, it was detaching from the body of work and saying, and allowing others, their input, allowing the record company, my management, my producer, the input of what they feel like should help happen, happen with that body of work. And it, you know, unless it was like, it, it wasn't such a, 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 a body of work that I was like, no, this entire thing is my baby and mine and I can't change anything. Uh, and I've, I've been that artist and I've come into collision with people 
you know, kind of operating that way. And, and, and I know that you have to stay true to what you believe in and, and, and what's great, but, you know, also too, there's also objectivity, humility, and working with others and being a producible artist and being an artist that can be managed, that's manageable, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, not my way or the highway. It's also the humility piece of, of taking, to, you know, somebody else's input and, and taking that into account, you know, listening to somebody, listening to others. So that's kind of how I did the, this record. I, I kind of chose the ones that I thought needed to stay. And then I said, and you guys decide the rest. And, and it allows everybody involvement and not just me, me and mine and my, and I'm making all the calling on. And it's like, it's like, you know, the fact that there's a team, there's like a group of people working within a group, working together with others, you know, in community, you know, with people, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, then I think that's the thing about it. It's like allowing the, 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 uh, the input of, of others. So that's kind of how we select the songs on the record. now. What is your favorite part about the creative process? I love objectivity. I love working with a great writer or a great producer. Um, and other great musicians. And one of my favorite parts of the creative process is when you hit those special moments where you know that something's just absolutely special. You know what I mean? Where you just, you you have that one chord change or that one little part you put in, everybody goes, oh my God, dude, that's all, you know. That, those are my favorite moments when you're like, or lyrically, when you're writing lyrics out and you're writing a line, you go, oh man, this is so, you know, it's like, those are the moments that that are worth everything to me and the, and the fun parts you know like we talked about having fun those fun moments where you you discover you know a, a cool part or something that's like that you know so and then the finalization process i love when it begins with a with a sound in my mind you know with a with a with an idea and that i'm hearing within my own mind then to then sitting in front of the control room, sitting at the console, listening to it back through speakers. And sometimes that's not always, it doesn't always translate to like what I heard or what I demo. Like sometimes the demo can be better because it's more raw and mm. it's more authentic and real than when it's like, okay, now I've got to take this into a studio and, and make it this, this, this thing, you know, those are my, my favorite part. I love that. So we were talking about your album, which comes out in July, and you were talking about the creative process, but mm-hmm. sometimes there's things that are not fun about the creative process. Is there anything you wish you could just skip? Arguing over lyrics is a, all is, I think that can be a, you know, as objectivity is great and creativity and groups are great and, the, you know, all those things of the togetherness and working together is great. However, there does those conflicts, you know, mm-hmm. that over a one word or one line or one sentence or one chord that process that part it can get weird you know and i i, I don't dig that too much you know i kind of get that gets weird and that, that's a part i wish that could, i could skip but you know but through some of those things come out some of the greatest parts you know, or, or lyrics or whatever so but yeah, the conflict within the process can get weird for me sometimes. I don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Understandable. I'm I'm very conflict averse myself. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Right on. Right on. Yeah. So you had a lot of, of course, blues influences growing up, but is there any, and you met and worked with a lot of people, but is there anyone who you never had a chance to work with and you always wanted to? Yeah, Jimmy Page uh we had the opportunity we were you know um during this the the second supersonic blues machine album that i did uh 
I don't even remember the name of it, California something. <laughs> I want to say Californication, but that's the Red Hot Chili Peppers. California Soul, <laughs> I think is what it was called. <laughs> it was the second record I did. And we had a collective of great guitar players, you know, a lot of celebrity great artists were a part, a part of it. And we were working with the with the great Robert Knight, the photographer who shot Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and a lot of other iconic artists. And, and he, we were working together. You know, Jeff Beck was going to be involved. Um, we had reached out to Brian May, who was actually busy working with the, on the Kepler telescope for NASA and was unable to, to. It was like, and he sent this big email, you know, how gracious it was for us to ask him. However, he's working on the kids like, oh, <laughs> you're working on the Kepler. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Yeah, so it was like those those were the those were the moments where it was like, oh man, and Brian May couldn't do it. And then you know, it would have been great to play with Jeff with that. And then uh, but they were gonna get Jimmy involved, and Jimmy just hadn't, you know, they were talking to him and and it was it was a it was almost gonna happen and then it didn't. So hmm. you know, so it was really kind of uh, bummed out about that. And having Jeff a part of that project, it would have been really cool. But um you know, those are those are that those are kind of those moments where it was like, oh man, like when I think about it, you know, now I go, oh man, I wish that would have happened. Mm-hmm. That was fairly recently too, so that's probably it for now. For I, I would think. I I always like to ask this question of musicians: What mm-hmm. are some of the mo- more surprising music albums we might find uh, in your collection? Hmm, probably '80s pop music like Adam Ant and Duran Duran and. Stuff that you would never expect me to listen to. Hip hop, lots of hip, old school hip hop. You know, people, I don't know if people have this, uh, uh, this affection that I, you know, that I was like not into hip hop. And I was like, I was friends with all those old school rapper guys. Like I knew Biggie Smalls and met, you know, my new Master P and all those old <laughs> guys, you know, so I knew them all. And so those are some other things too. You'd, you'd probably find some old school hip hop in there and in some old school pop music. Lots of world music. You know, lots of world music. I listen to a lot of world music when I'm by myself, you know, from different cultures, um, from the Middle East, from Africa, West Africa, um, Spain, you know, the Orient, India, and and all over the Middle East. So I'm all, and then I incorporate that into what I do. So I'm always listening to a lot of world music, which is which is pretty unexpected. But those are some off the wall finds for me, probably. Nice. I like that. I like that. So this is a fun question, but obviously you know when you go on tour you get a chance to maybe have meals at a lot of different restaurants or places is is there any uh favorite concert gig meals that you like you know i love to eat the the food of the region in which we are you know i love the native food wherever that may be and i don't whatever country we're in or whatever state or city we're in Mm -hmm. I want to eat what the locals eat. I've, I've seen, you know, I've seen artists kind of go experience different cultures and then only eat McDonald's, you know, mm-hmm. while they're in their country. And and I've seen them be very rude about that. And I always thought, man, you know, I, I, I love being, I love the, uh, first off, what a blessing it is that we get to travel the planet playing our instrument for mm-hmm. a living. Yeah. And I think that the other side of that is, is that while I get that ability to do that, I should experience the cultures of the world and and enjoy their their region and their their cultural things. I always want to eat where the locals eat. I want to eat their food, and and that's been really surprising to to a lot of people at times. But but that's that's what I you know like we I, I even mentioned earlier in the interview when people ask me what's your favorite food, I say good. 
you know, I want to go to the best, what, what is good here? Like, mm -hmm. what is your best play? Like, what do you, and what do you eat in this region? I want to eat the, and so the cold, so a lot of the countries I've gone to, they have, uh, they love, they, cause they, I get fixated on certain dishes that, that of their specialty of their region. And so they've always found that funny that I, I you know, I like a certain thing. So when I come back, they'll have it ready. You know, they're like, you know, there's a, for instance, in, uh, the Balkan region, like Serbia and Bosnia and, and Montenegro and Croatia and that whole, they have this pie called burek. That's a pie they make with like either cheese or meat inside. And, and then they serve it with like a buttermilk. It's like a yogurt thing, a drink that you have. And it's, it's really good. I mean, I loved it. And it's this real thin, real buttery crust that they put on it. It's almost like a, it's almost like a quesadilla just to mm. almost, it's, it's crazy. And so they have this really good, like goat cheese inside of, it, and it's this awesome thing. And uh, Burick, it's called Burick. And so they even, they they were nicknaming my band the Burick Brothers. Because <laughs> we loved it <laughs> so much. And, uh, you know, so they were, and it's, and so that was, and so it connected me with their, with the culture. Yeah. You now I fixate on a, on a food of their, and it's, it's what everybody loves. It's one of the things that I've always said that I, I only post on social media and that's food and music because everybody loves both. You know, and there's enough conflict on social media and all the craziness. It's like, I like to post those things because that makes everybody happy. No matter whether they, they get along or not, they're both going to love cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it doesn't. So that's what I've always tried to do just to promote that, you know, promote love and togetherness is, mm -hmm. is that music and food. And I'm so grateful that we get to play a lot of places on the road that has great food. We do experience that. And it's always great to then discover a venue that we were playing at that provides good food. It's always amazing. But um, no, I just love the the food of whatever culture, whatever the local people eat. And 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 it and not only do I experience something new, but it connects connects me to their culture. That's fantastic. And what a wonderful philosophy, you know, to connect people with food and being so tolerant and open and welcoming to experiencing other cultures and the beauty that it provides, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's awesome. Thank you. Do you have a country that you haven't traveled to yet that you'd like to go to? Japan. As a matter of fact, um, I, I would love to go to Japan and play. That's a that's a region I'm not. Uh, and, you know, I've been through, uh, like, traveled through it, but never, like, really have experienced, like, the culture and the playing there. And, uh, you know, experiencing it, taking time to experience the culture. So that's what I, I, I would really love to do that. Oh, nice. So this next one is kind of a more serious question, but, you know, obviously you're you're in a, a good place in your career now, but you've had some ups and downs. What's one of the barriers that you had to reaching where you are right now? One of the barriers is <laughs> like multi-tier layer of barriers. Uh, the struggle with addiction has it was always a big one, you know, probably if not the biggest because, you know, it's a daily struggle. You know, and <laughs> I say I say daily, but, you know, a daily maintainable situation. And we've had some serious setbacks with that um, and the road, you know, and, and our health and wellness, you know, that, and that's one of the things that really I've, I've done since, and one of the reasons why I did move to Nashville was to create kind of create a, a wellness team around me. And, you know, and last year I had to cancel some tour dates, you know, since COVID, I had COVID three or four times, I was really sick uh, several times and, you know, and I was trying to get back out and play. And I'd come back and I'd, again, I'd, I'd, I would get ill again. And I was vaccinated as well. 
And so, you know, I was, I was just getting ill left and right. You know, the vaccination made me ill. I was getting ill. It was like, it was like, why? <laughs> it was, it was a continuous beatdown. So, and I had great doctors and, you know, I had to cancel some tour dates last year and it was so brutal for me. Cause I mean, I literally would be crawling to the gig with my guitar, like to mm. play. And it was the first time in my life that I'd actually listened to doctors. And they said, Lance, man, you need to stay, hang back, reschedule these shows, take care of yourself. And that was the first time in my life I went, yeah, okay. You know, and so that was, you know, because normally, I, no, man, I got to go play my guitar, man, no matter what. And then, and then I would suffer the consequences greater later on. And that's what my medical team was telling me. They were like, you can go do, you're sick and you're hurting and you're, you know, you've got all these medical issues going on. You can go do that, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to be way worse off, you know. Mm -hmm. And and it was like, what do you, what would you like to have happen? Would you like to try to stay here and heal and start getting better, or would you like to go make it worse? <laughs> yeah. you know? I was like, I'll, I'll take the get better part. <laughs> I'll, I'll, so that's a lot of what it is for me today. It's listening to, um, and, and that that takes humility and listening. Mm -hmm. Like again, like we talked about, listening to others and working with others. And when a doctor says, "Hey, man." You really need to stay in bed and take care of yourself. And it's like, I can't stay, you know, and I'm that guy that's like, I can't stay in bed, man. I got stuff to do, you know? <laughs> and, you know, but then, and then it's like, when I do stay in bed, it's like, oh my God, I feel so much better. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, the doctor told you to stay in bed. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's real simple. Yeah, It's, not, yeah, it's yeah. Not, not that difficult, you know? So that's what, you know, and that's what I had to really, you know, start to begin to do and learn at, you know, at my age now to finally go, okay, I'll listen to the doctor, I guess, this time. And so that's, that's a lot of, for me, uh, again, you know, objectivity and, and humility of, of listening to others. And, and when I get suggestions, take them, you know, uh, that, that's a big, 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 big part of it. I was never really good at that. I was my way or the highway, <laughs> not anymore. Yeah. 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 You know, we definitely all learn and grow and sometimes certain lessons just really have to be like sort of shoved in front of us multiple times, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And they definitely have for me. I mean, it's and it's continuing. That's why I say it's it's a daily struggle and, and I don't do things perfectly every day, but you know, as long as I'm trying to to get to where I need to be, I think is the key. And not so hard on myself. That's the other thing. It was like taking it easy on, you know, on myself. Mm -hmm. And that was the, the other key is that, you know, once I did start beginning to get into wellness and getting better and focusing on my health and recovery, et cetera, it was like, then it was like, I have to do that perfectly. It's like, just take it easy. <laughs> you know, it was like, just take it easy. So I think that's the biggest lesson I think I've learned lately is just to take it easy. Yeah. Yeah. Understandable. Do you have any advice for young artists who want to go out on the road and kind of do what you do? Yeah, I, I would definitely tell them to, uh, first thing, don't do drugs. <laughs> Let's just start there. <laughs> you know, and if you don't believe me, you can email me. We can talk. <laughs> I'll tell you some very terrifying stories that you, you hopefully will change your mind. And then, um, yeah, I, I, you know, just, you know, do what you believe in. Count your pennies, you know, live tight on the road in the beginning. You know, if you live tight on the road, you can make it. You know, just just uh, it's OK to get out there and suck at first. That's <laughs> OK. That's OK. We all have to. We, I mean, there's I like I played Saturday night. I felt like I was sucking. I was like, I suck. <laughs> it's like, why? <laughs> but, you know, 
it's i mean i think and that's okay and, and that's how we get and that's how we grow and we get better you know i think that's the keys it's like don't the like we talked about in the beginning get through the frustration hump it's going to take some time you know that one of the biggest things that i always did with students and because you know their dads would come see me play and then they'd bring a beginner guitarist and a 12 year old to me and go, i want him to play just like you did last night like we've got a party next week i want him to play <laughs> it's like that's not going to happen. Like, unless he's just this otherworldly phenom child, <laughs> it's like, you know, it, it, it doesn't work that way. And that was one of the things that I had to explain to the parents and the, and the students was that it's going to take practice time on your end. It was, you know, when I was a kid, it was, I came home and sat on my bed for nine hours every day and practiced. And I believe that's truly what it takes. It, it takes the, the passion and the desire to, and that's anything whatever you want to do, you know, when you have passion and desire for it, you will take the action and you will make it happen. It's like, if, it, just like me, I was, I was fixated towards the guitar. Like you asked me in the beginning and I had the passion and desire and still do within me to, to put in the work and take the action to, to play, you know, and to write and to, and to, and to do what we do. So I think that's the key. It's like, and that's what I say, whatever, whatever your heart is drawing you to, it's like, do that. And then listen to others, you know, have, you you know, humility, humility and, and, and working with other people and, and, and be nice. <laughs> all, all good things. Yeah. yeah. We're going to end with a fun question. What is one of your favorite movies and what does it reveal about you? Oh my goodness. Wow. Oh my goodness. Um, as gruesome as it may be, <laughs> one of my all-time favorites was always Clockwork Orange. And I, you know, what it revealed about me, I don't know. I think the process of of some sort of, and I, you know, I think I always connected with that story because my background was never like of a violent one, like that story kind of portrays, but always like kind of with the addiction kind of side of stuff, kind of mm -hmm. getting through life and that transformation piece of that uh i always i'm just a huge big fan of kubrick so i love all those movies like the shining and shine in that one and all his movies and it's always really cool but i just always like that that element of taught the karmic value of like what goes around comes around kind of vibe at the end and the whole thing so you know i think there was a lot of really cool messages in it and it was uh something cool that i think that we used to watch when we were kids and trip out on too <laughs> so, <laughs> who knows tammy like i don't know, <laughs> I don't know. but I, you know i don't know i just i always like old movies like that but i'm a big kubrick fan the shining was another one like i said as gruesome as it may be i just love great artistic work like that i love mm. visual timeless artistic you know stuff shots on camera that are just like you know brilliant paintings you know i, yeah. I love that and i think that's a lot of what that movie encompassed true art in motion picture awesome well lance thank you so much for being on the podcast thanks so much for having me tammy yeah. and uh listeners please check the show notes for links regarding the record trouble is good which is coming out mid-july and uh, be on the lookout for when he tours in the future and as always thanks for listening thanks for listening to the podcast like the show have a question stop by the facebook and instagram pages links are in the show notes or search for creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.